This is the Houston Football Show, brought to you by the Prime Social Poker Club and Inside Edge, with your hosts, Aaron Wilson and Jason Braddock. That's right. We're back here. Season one, episode nine, Jason Braddock, along with Pro Football Network's NFL Insider and here locally in Houston, KPRC2 and Sports Talk 790's Texans Insider. Aaron, welcome in. Thank you, Jason. Oh, absolutely. We'll get right into all the action. We want to thank uh, Jonathan Danger Cole and Mark Larson for the production of tonight's episode, as always, from iLogic Media. Now we got to get right into it because we got a lot to talk about. Before we look back at last week, as we typically do and look forward to the next, Aaron, let's catch up uh, with where the roster's at. And first, the latest news that's come out, uh, Justin Britt, there's kind of been a holding pattern with his name uh, and what's going on with him on the Texans. Look clarity came out today can you catch up catch us up with all the ins and outs yes jason yeah while respecting his privacy i'll say as much as i can they placed him on the reserve non-football illness list and he is upset with his performance in the first game but that was sort of the trigger it was an emotional moment for him did not perform the way he hoped for didn't live up to his own personal standard had some problems that's all been documented how he played in the game and it's the reaction to it that is why he's been absent from the team and the team wants to give him some time and space to work through things contemplate his options obviously retirement could be one of those options and that's a consideration so he'll make his plans think about what he wants to do in the meantime it's a next man up mentality this sure. league doesn't really uh, wait for for anyone. Obviously, you know he has to take care of himself, take care of his family, and the Texans have to move forward. And they already have with Scott Quesenberry named the starter against the Denver Broncos, and he'll continue to start as long as he's healthy and effective. And I thought he held up solidly against one of the better nose tackles in the NFL and DJ Jones of the Broncos. It wasn't a perfect performance. It would have been really amazing if it had been. It was solid. I, I thought he held his own. And exactly. then, for Justin, you know, he's under a two-year, $9 million contract. They have the option to not pay him. I understanding that they will pay him while he's on the non-football illness list. If he was to retire, then, you know, he wouldn't be due, obviously, his salary. So we'll see what happens. It's not really a financial thing, though. It's more just with Justin, the team wanting to give him some time and space. They've respected his process. And yeah, I'm told that yeah, he's very upset and it's an emotional moment for him. You know, he's played football all his life. He's 31 years old. He's had a really good career. He's one of the toughest guys around. And sometimes your body just won't let you do, you know, what the mind wants right. it to because, right. you know, he's had a serious knee injury and that's bothered him for the past couple of years. And, you know, when I think he headed into this year thinking he could make it through the season. He didn't play any preseason football, so it really right. wasn't tested in game action. And when he did get to game action, it just, you know, he came up wanting. And I, I think, you know, for Justin, it's just a really um, 
a difficult reminder of what it takes to play the game. And it's not just physical, it's mental as well. And, uh, you know, there's no shame in this. This is, this is a person's life. You know, this, there's some things more important than football. 100%. And Justin, you know, I just wish him well. Uh, I did shoot him a text, uh, last week expressing my support and respect for him. And that's been about, you know, and I haven't had any contact with him. I've, I've texted with him previously and, you know, we'll see, you know, if Justin at some point has something to say, but, you know, we're going to give him his, you know, respect his privacy and space. Um, obviously yeah, 100%. Is, let me, let me ask you this, Aaron, yes. uh, with Justin Britt, without putting you too much on the spot, if you can't, uh-huh. uh, if you can't elaborate far, further, that's fine. But uh, I, I think you said you mentioned something in there as far as the reaction to his play. Is that more so his own personal reaction or the public? Oh reaction? yeah. It, it's his reaction. Not so okay. much. I, I don't think, Again, I can't speak for him. I don't know right. what I consumed as far as media, social media. I think there were probably harsher reactions on social media from fans than there Always. were from right. reporters, uh, which is generally the rule. What I saw from press coverage was people volleyballing back, You know, him being accountable for his mistakes. I thought he was a stand-up guy. 100%. I believe you were there for that press conference as well uh right the previous tuesday at the at energy stadium and you know i thought if anything i was like wow he's very despondent about this he was sad. thinking the same thing yeah and he he was a hundred percent accountable so uh I, let me say this aaron just to get it off because we always talk about the human element on here and i think you've stated it perfectly with justin i do want to add my two cents uh, you know i do put film up i go in and evaluate the film in my opinion uh the film is what the film is um i i try not to go too much on a tangent of bashing a guy if it's bad uh maybe maybe i should choose my words carefully but if it is the public reaction i played any part in that that. You know, my apologies to him because, you know, I, I do respect the human element, but it sounds more like him holding himself more accountable than anything else because it did catch me a little bit by surprise uh, because that press conference, like you said, he was out there uh, forefront, took 100% accountability. And uh, so uh, best wishes for him, whatever he decides. I just want to state that. Absolutely. Well said. And, yeah, we at the podcast and everyone, I think, in Used to media is, uh, yeah, wishing Justin well. Justin's one of the good guys. Uh, you 100%. Know, not lose sight of this. This is a guy that's a, a dad and a, and a father and uh, a good man and has all the respect of his teammates, and they're pulling for Absolutely. him. Absolutely. And one of the reasons that you saw the linemen, they're playing cards, and they were kind of staying to themselves, they didn't really want to discuss Justin. This is upsetting. He's very close to Tyson Howard. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Tunsil, a lot of these guys. So this was something where they were sad to not have their brother with them, and they were hurting for him. That's and- interesting. That's interesting. I don't mean to cut you off, Aaron, but and we'll move along here, uh, here yeah. shortly. But it's interesting you mentioned that he's close with Titus because this past week Titus didn't look like Titus. Now, by most people's standards, he had a good game. Uh, but Titus Howard and how he plays, the vengeance, how you know, you, you watch a guy for years, you understand how he moves and what he does, and it almost looked like mental mistakes at it. And it makes sense, uh, Marion, that with what you're saying, him being close with Britt. Like we look at these guys that's gladiator, especially on the line in the NFL, but these are humans with human emotions, and Titus has one of those big teddy bear lovable personalities. I could definitely see this, uh, the Brit 
what's going on with Justin Britt affecting him now hearing that they are close. Now, moving on a little bit, um, catching up the roster before we look back at what happened in Denver. Kevin Pierre-Lewis, growing injury, saw that he the Texans did place him on IR this year. I don't know the severity, Aaron. I'm not sure if you've heard uh, the severity on this or not. Is he one of the candidates to return later or because of the depth at the position or the severity of the injury that he's probably out for the year at this point? I haven't heard if he's going to need surgery or if it's going to be something that he can recover from. I, I think he'll need all of the four weeks. Uh, you know, he was carted off the field. It was a pretty Absolutely. painful. Right. So, yeah, I expect him to be down. And during this time, this is uh, you know an opportunity for someone else to establish themselves. And, and in my opinion, the next man up should be Garrett Wallow. Interesting. I was going to go there after the KPL injury. Would he yeah. say he's been in that inactive two weeks and speaking on injuries, do you feel like he's a hundred percent? That's mostly why he was inactive. We saw Blake Cashman step in uh, for the most part when Kevin Pierre Lewis went out, but you, you believe Wallow's healthy. Not only will he be active, but he's the next guy up. Yes. I think that could happen. I'm not reporting that, but sure, I, I, I got that's you. the top option. And we'll know as the week goes on, if that's how they're going to go with it. But, you know, Neville Hewitt is another possibility, but he's more of a Mike linebacker. So we'll see how they go about replacing Kevin Pierre-Lewis. Keep in mind, they are in two linebacker sets quite a bit. So, right. you know, the third linebacker is not always in the field. They're in Nick, uh, nickel a lot. Yeah, sub package is probably about 70% of the time, rough estimate. Going to the offensive side of the ball before we hit our first break, and y'all stick with us through the break. Our, our title sponsor, just one minute of your time here during the show. We'll hit that here in a second. And uh, as we always ask you, please um, – Go check out InsideEdge.com, Prime Social Poker Club if you're in the Houston area. Uh, you know, if, give give positive feedback to our sponsors because we want to continue to grow this, and we're glad that they've uh, they've partnered with us here uh, and bought into the Houston Football Show brand. Now, finishing up on injuries real quick before we get to that first break. Brevin Jordan, Tyler Johnson, uh, two different guys here, and for two different reasons I'm interested. Brevin Jordan was blocking on a play early week one, got rolled up on, missed some time in practice last week went into the game and did play but again left with injury the severity of this and i do notice that uh he wasn't placed on ir so that's good news there right with him it's a deal where you know the ankle has been bothering him for a couple of weeks now right and you know he's been able to practice with he returned to practice he was able to finish the game it wasn't like he was carted off the field so i think uh the way lovey smith characterized it was he injured his ankle just a little bit Okay. So he tweaked it. I would expect him to probably be available. We'll see how he feels at practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if he's able to participate. They have depth at his position. I think Jordan Akins is just as nice. good, if not better. So you know, I think oh, they've wow. got a good option there in Akins. Or if you want more of a blocker, you have Mason Shrek. Right. Uh, who's a bigger guy. But, yeah, not, not much of a receiver. But when you think about the – you know, Brevin and these guys, they're not being utilized a lot. I mean, the top receiving options are Farrell Brown and O.J. Howard. So the third tight end is what we're talking about in this case. Uh, it's not exactly a you know, hot-button personnel issue, but, you know, it, it's something that, you know, they'll have a few things to do. Uh, you know, with the injured reserve situation, you can up a few people and the non-filpable illness for Justin Britt. 
Uh, Jimmy Morrissey is a top candidate to be promoted. Okay. You then have Scott Morris, uh, Scott Quisenberry start. And then Justin McRae is a top backup for all three interior right. line positions with Kenya Green now the starting left guard, uh, as we reported last week. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I would say, you know, there are going to be a few more changes. And they did work out a couple of offensive linemen, Parker Ferguson, Keaton Sutherland. Uh, Tyrone Wheatley Jr. was supposed to work out, but he just did a visit because he signed with the Cleveland Browns. So they could fill, if they promote Jimmy Morrissey, which I think they will, Right. Then they have some linemen waiting in the wings. They could sign one of them to add man. to the practice squad. I hope I hope they sign Kiefer Sutherland. I loved him in twenty four. Uh, yeah, must have yeah. really put on must have really put on some weight trying out for that O line position. Lastly, before we move on to here, uh, take this. Can you do a Kiefer Sutherland uh, twenty four impression. Uh, you there, from you? Yes, yes. This is Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, that wasn't very good. <laughs> what Four is points. that? You know what? I'm, I'm off topic now. I need a break. Go ahead. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Why I gather myself from the Keeper keep Sutherland impression. Come out and enjoy Houston's longest standing poker room with a stellar reputation for class and quality Prime Social Poker Club. At Prime, you'll enjoy an upscale social environment, fully stocked bar, gourmet dining, pool tables, dozens of poker tables, and many other fun games throughout the venue. You can also join their over 21,000 members with a lifetime membership for only $10. What are you waiting for? Get into the game. Come join us at Prime Social Poker Club. Inside Edge was founded over 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for Major League Baseball clubs. If you've seen the movie Moneyball, then you know Inside Edge. They were part of the data and analytics revolution in professional sports. Fans can now have access to the same insights and analytics used by pro teams for free at MyInsideEdge.com. MyInsideEdge is a destination for sports bettors and daily fantasy players where they can find matchups, specific insights, and projections to help make informed betting and fantasy decisions. Again, that's MyInsideEdge.com. All right, we're back here again. Check out Prime Social Poker Club here in Houston and Inside Edge, myinsideedge.com. All right, and we got to look back before we look forward here. What happened in Denver and the stat that's really made the rounds, Texans plus 23 through the first three quarters in week one and week two this season, minus 27 there in the fourth quarter. What was happening there and what are we seeing? Well, it doesn't seem to be a fatigue issue to me. It's more so that they have a lot of three and outs on offense. They are Davis Mills is five for sixteen in terms Ouch. of uh, accuracy. Thirty-one percent, and you know, South Carolina, as you said, you know, twenty-seven to nothing combined margin. And the defense is gassed. They're tired from all the the lack of long sustained drives. So they're on the field. They don't substitute very much, and you've seen the snap count. So. The Jalen Petries and the Derek Stingleys, they're playing every snap. And, and they do rotate the defensive line, which I'm glad to see because otherwise you don't get guys like Rasheem Green on the field and he doesn't get a sack if you just play the front four right. the whole game. They need to incorporate some other DBs, in my opinion. And, you know, obviously that means some drop off in talent, but you've got to sub and you've got to be able to run the ball longer. 
And Davis Mills has got to start looking at other receivers, not just Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks. One of the problems, and this was not in the fourth quarter, but they missed opportunity on the touchdown. They're in the red zone one time. They have one chance to score. And instead of running it, they, they chose to pass. They're going to – they don't think they can run on them inside. Okay, I understand. You're doing that, and he wheels very quickly – and he throws a low pass. It was catchable, but it wasn't a great throw. And it was on Brandon Cooks pretty quickly. And Brandon, uncharacteristically, doesn't bring it in. Chris Moore was wide open, but that was not his first read. That was his second read. And so, yeah, Davis, you know, then he's incomplete on the next one. And he's got to be more accurate. And, yeah, I think there's something of a regression from the way he ended last season. Obviously, also, people have watched tape of him. And they've had a chance to study him more and you're not going to get a book on him. The pass protection is not great, but it's adequate. It's good enough. It's not like he's on the ground all the time. And there are some breakdowns here and there. The other team, they're good. Randy Gregory, Bradley Chubb, DJ Jones. These guys are tough to block. And, you know, there's just a few things that go wrong. That's the reason why they're not 2-0. They should be 2-0 right now. And, fighting with the Jaguars for, surprise, surprise, the lead in the AFC South because the Colts are off to a bad start, the Titans are off to a bad start, and there's an opportunity here. They could get in the mix, but they have to beat the Chicago Bears for them to get in the mix, for them to yeah, absolutely. Start, they start winning some games. And it's like Levy said. I thought he said it very well. Before you can win games, you have to stop losing them. They are their own worst enemy. A lot of unforced errors, a lot of penalties, a lot of issues, some pass coverage breakdowns, like third and 16. I'm starting to question more and more, was that Jonathan Owens on that pass to Cortland Sutton? Uh, was he dropping too deep and creating too big of a seam in that cover two zone? Because a lot of people, you know, thought, oh, that's on Stingley. It's not only on Stingley. It's on both of them. But it looked like there's some culpability from the safety. And great play by Cortland Sutton. And everyone was asking about Stingley's performance. It was solid. It wasn't great. He did get picked on some. He's playing against a gigantic wide receiver. He's almost 6'5". Well, I want to get to that. Yeah. Well, let, let me, let me pitch it. that to you in a second. But before yep. we get to that, uh, the matchup against Sutton, um, you know, we always hear evaluators, front office people talk about it, what they'll go and watch film and they'll also look at analytics and what they what they explain that they're doing. The reason for that is marrying what they see with stats because stats lie and your eyes will lie to you, believe it or not. So marrying the two is like, I'm seeing this. What do the stats say or vice versa? And so everything we're talking about the fourth quarter, what are making those stats that way? The, the Texans minus 27 in the fourth after being up plus 20 in the first three quarters through two weeks. Well, on offense, they've only run successful plays 19% of the time. That's second to worst in the NFL. And then on the defense, they've uh, given up successful plays 59% of the time. That's worse NFL. I mean, that's both sides of the ball there. So let me ask you something before I say it. I'm playing devil's advocate here. I don't believe this, but let me let me see if I can convince you to something else. Week one, what the the sell was on why the Texans broke down in the fourth quarter was 90 plays. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, that O-line just really wearing on them, beating them down. And there's truth to that, obviously. But outside of that, um, you know, you, you look at week two and they get beat down in the fourth quarter. And we're not talking much about my high, mile high. 
could it be something you say conditions not an issue but it could could it be something for the second straight week something freaky that's ha- happening whether it's the elements or the workload or is this just something that in the fourth quarter is choke time i i don't think it's as much stress or physical conditioning as it is a team that's just sort of ineffective and there is some fatigue but it's not the only factor you can chalk it up to and the play calling in my opinion from pep hamilton has to improve too they've got to have better things dialed up you need to save some things sometimes for the fourth quarter and i think if anything we're seeing him play his hits early in the game and he needs something up his sleeve you script a lot, of course, but you need some things and you need to be able to adjust and adapt and, you know, feel how the game is going. The thing about this offense is in now that Damian Pierce is kind of playing the way he can and they're blocking well and right. you know, he's being a little more patient as he was into the first game, but this time he's letting his holes develop. If you don't have Pierce, what do you have? completely (laughs) one-dimensional exactly this just isn't a very good offense and i think they have the makings of a defense they're not a very good run defense but they they have a solid defense they have a decent pass rush they have some better pass because they did a year ago this just still feels like a very incomplete team to me jason that's just still very much in a rebuilding mode nothing really has changed they are who we thought they are uh, now let's let's get back to one thing we we're t- touching on just a little bit ago. You talked about Stingley versus um, Cortland Sutton, and one thing you know, you talked about the Texans not being able to stop the run, but it's not only that they can't stop the opposing team's number one wide receiver. Now they catch a break this week with Chicago not having, a, you know, they've got an odd look at the roster where they decided to go with no wide receivers. Obviously, a little hyperbole, but seriously, truly, no number one in Chicago, and that's a blessing for Houston. But I'm curious, Aaron, and uh, yes, it's a little bit hindsight, maybe, maybe not, but Derek Stingley Jr. has given up the seventh most receiving yards in the NFL, and he's been thrown at more than any other DB in the fourth quarter. As you mentioned, he's been picked on and targeted a little bit. So my question and my problem is not with Derek Stingley. My question is with the coaching staff that knows this is a rookie that just worked 90 plus uh, plays last week, didn't get a lot of work in the preseason and stuff as they were careful with this workload. When Jerry Judy goes out early in this game, why is Derek Stingley the one that's primarily uh, on Sutton for the majority of the game? And mind you, Steven Nelson has only given up five receptions on 11 targets this year. That's the 10th best among qualified DBs. Uh, and why not put him on the wide receiver who's caught 56% of the receiving yards from Russell Wilson in this game? Right. I think that's a valid question because they could have switched. Right. What they've been doing is they've been playing each side, not always shadowing. And, you know, you primarily are winding up with, so first it was Michael Pittman and he had a good game. Right. And then it's, you know, Cortland Sutton. And in both cases, he's facing a bigger, taller wide receiver that has, you know, you could make an argument they have the the number one, you know, capability. Pittman is the featured guy. He's been very productive. He's hurt now. But, you know, you look at everything that they're trying to do, and I think he needs a little more help. I think the safeties need to help him a little more over the top. And, you know, he's all by himself out there. Yeah, it's not only them. The Texans He's completely poised, though, I I would tell you this. I like his reaction. 
He just right. keeps fighting and battling, and he'll oh, get better. These are, these are and, and we're yeah. going to evaluate. The NFL is not like baseball where you got a game every day. You've got a week in between. You're going to talk. You're going to evaluate. I mean, with Derek Stingley, we're telling you what the tape says now, what we see, and Aaron's able to tell you a little bit behind the scenes uh, on different stuff and also break news for you and all that. You know, it, it's content, it's entertainment, all that. But don't get carried away. This is still a young kid. My, I, my oldest daughter is Derek Stingley Jr.'s age. And he's he's going through trial by fire. So the criticism isn't more on Stingley there. It's more on the decision to place him in Sutton, if you like. Well, we want that trial by fire. Well, you're in games and you're in a division contention where one win, you know, you got a one win in the entire division. So I don't think you go trial by fire there. Instead, you try to get the win. And I, I think Steven Nelson would have uh, solidified that for him. I mean, again, hindsight, maybe I'm wrong. That secondary, though, well, Aaron, great. As great will let you know, as he has said before, I've been a number one corner. Right. And 100, he's right. 100%. I tend to think that his game is better right now than Derek's. I don't think that's oh, a big it's stretch. it's not even a so question, no. I would think about it, and I wonder if they will. Yeah, uh, because his, if, you're, his, if you're seeing it, they're seeing it too. Yeah, Stingley's like upside's is, insane, but yeah, Stephen Nelson's definitely ahead of Derek It's just Stingley the big right picture, now. but I did like the way he played. Obviously, it wasn't a touchdown. It was uh, overturned, but he was right there. Uh, right. I think he's close, and the thing about it is maybe you let him keep playing, keep competing, and keep getting better, but you've got to win some of these games. Yeah, and I would have been a way to do that. I don't think he would have had a problem with it. It's uh, I don't think it has anything to do with protecting him or his ego no. or whatever. But uh, this week, you know, they've only had 15 completed passes out of 28. The Bears, they run the ball. And this isn't a good Texans team running the ball. They've got to slow down. David Montgomery's already got 140. Well, let me cards. ask you about that. So, uh, and put in, a, you know, a bow on the secondary. They gave up nine receptions of 20 plus yards in two games. And that's the most in the NFL. And I think that ties in perfectly with what Aaron was saying. It's not just on Stingley. The secondary, especially in zone looks, they have to find that chemistry quickly. Now, you talk about the running game. The Texans have been gashed, whether it was Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams. But you mentioned they went with five. D tackles this past week. Also, Rasheen Green can kick inside as well. Roy Lopez, Malik Collins, Kurt Heinish, Thomas Booker in his first action, Michael Drumford. All of those guys rotating in, staying fresh. Pass rush, Rasheen Green would kick in on the interior as well. Uh, but second straight week, you know, the five work. They clogged the middle. But when you clog something, it's going to squeeze out somewhere. It's going to squeeze out to the edges. And for the second straight week, the Texans have no contain. Aaron, what is going on here, and will they come in this entire week with the focus on keeping the contain on Montgomery and Khalil Herbert? Well, yeah, you would hope so that they would you know, do some, a better job of setting the edge, and what it's going to take to do that is just fundamental football, but you can't just race into the backfield. You really have to you know, be a stay-home football player sometimes, and the linebackers, they've got to get outside. they right. got to run with these backs. They've got to feel. And David Montgomery cannot just run outside. He's good at running inside. He's not the biggest back, but he's got a little bit of power. And he's got a lot of wiggle. It's a lot yes. of moves. And as much as Jonathan Taylor challenged them, and so did Javante Williams, this back is a little more like Javante. But uh, it's quick, quicker and harder to find. He is very short. Uh, he's a unique back, a good back. 
uh, I think it's going to be tough. And yeah, no sleep on Khalil not, Herbert. Very instinctual. No, he's a good backup. Yeah, I, I think yeah. he's very instinctual. Six-round pick, I had him a lot higher but than here's that. The thing. They've got to also worry about containing Fields because Fields can take yeah, off and run. Great. Well that's, said. So well said. Yeah, but, but Fields passing is deficient. Yeah, he's and only he's had seven and eight completions. Yeah, he's just he's he's about a fifty percent passer. Right. This is a game that really, if they can at least slow down Montgomery, prevent him from running wild, and block yeah. Roquan Smith, and not let him blow up their running plays, they have a chance to win this football game. I think they're better in a lot of areas, and I like the matchup for them. All right, and Texans getting three and a half on the road. We'll get in that matchup in a second. But before we look uh, ahead and before we get to this uh, next quick break here, uh, let's examine the quarterback here. I want to do a a quick little segment on Davis Mills because you touched on it perfectly earlier. Something's definitely wrong with Davis Mills. We can talk about the penalties of the O-line, the drop touchdown, uh, anything you want to go. But – there's an issue with Davis Mills, and that's your signal caller. And if Davis Mills, what he's done in the fourth quarter has been horrific. You talked about five for 16 for 75 yards in the fourth quarter, only 31% completion. I mean, that that's, that's sick. I mean, not positive. <laughs> I mean, that is that's horrific. But it's not only that. He's second-guessing. He's rattled, and he's he's – He's not, he doesn't even look like the same guy. The first three quarters of the game, week one and week two, he's only been sacked three times. In the fourth quarter, uh, in week one and week two, in the overtime there in week one as well, he's been sacked five times, almost twice as much. And it's just two fourth quarters in the overtime as opposed to the six quarters of first through third the first two weeks. It's on him. He's holding the ball too long. He doesn't trust himself. And he's got the yips on sideline passes. Aaron, uh, last year, Davis Mills, um, next-gen stats, shows you what a player completed. Last year, he completed 66.8 completion percent as a rookie. And I think this goes to you talking about the regression. Well, the next-gen stats said his expected completion percent on those passes was 66.3. He was actually plus 0.5 over the expectation of what he should have completed. This year, the expected completion 66.2 on his passes. He's only completing 56% of those passes. That's a minus 10.2. That's a regression. There's no other way to slice it. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And what they have to do is, you know, get him into a rhythm. And sometimes that can mean slants, outs. Let yes. the receivers do some work after the catch. I think How he's about Damian Pierce? Yeah. Throw it to Pierce. Hand off to Pierce. Hit the tight ends with a pop pass. Do some things that you are capable of doing. And I think he's got to crawl before he can walk again and rebuild his confidence a little. He might would probably tell you his confidence is exactly the same. I don't know. I, I think only only Davis would truly know that. But True. the success is not there. And I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but the early returns are not encouraging. Uh, you know, if this was a uh, you know, guy running for office, you know, he'd be trailing <laughs> in the polls. Okay. Okay. So, I like you know, the analogy. I think he's gotta get better and he's a resilient guy. He did improve last year, but there were some times, remember where he looked fairly hopeless last season. He doesn't oh, yeah. seem hopeless to me. He just seems like he's off to a rough start, and we have to see, can he play his way out of it? And, and, and he the, has tr- the rope to do that. 
Yeah, and he has struggled on the road as as well. So this past week's struggle isn't anything uh, that we're unfamiliar with. He has four touchdowns and nine interceptions on the road, 61% completion. That improves 8% to 69% at home with 14 touchdowns and only one interception. So, but... Uh, they've got to win these next two road games at Chicago and at Jacksonville with the only home game before the bye being against the Chargers. So he's got to get over that road uh, weary woes or, you know, I don't know what's going on with all the W's, but uh, we'll get into that. And there is a good uh, little bit of news there. Aaron talked about the Chicago Bears and this being a game the Texans need to win. We'll let it look at how, the, if you want the positive, the Texans were 18 and a half point underdogs combined for the first two weeks. This is a game they should win. They're farther ahead where most people's expectation was. And this is a winnable game. Just a quick nugget. Uh, Davis Mills minus 10.2. expected completion percent the only play quarterback active this week with a worse one at minus 11.6 is justin fields we'll get more into breaking that game down in a second before we do that though let me take a second out to tell you about one of our title sponsors prime social poker club at prime it is the houston's longest standing poker room with a stellar reputation for class and quality i went out there this past weekend and jumped they've got a uh jumped on the the live stream they have there so it's got a really Really cool setup where you have this. Sometimes it's a final table. Mostly it's a live stream cash game on on a delay. So if you're wondering, well, why can't you just see while the plays are going on? So there's a delay on that live stream. And then I was able to get on there with Reese, who works there at Prime, a former uh, former poker pro as well. I guess you're always a pro once you play poker. And uh, it's just awesome just to hear him break down the game from a pro's perspective. It shows you percents. It shows you all the outs. It shows it's like watching the World Series of Poker, but right here in Houston at 7801 on Westheim. It's really awesome. If you can't make it out and take advantage of their games, which they have daily and nightly tourneys starting with buy-ins as low as $60, up to 5000 over 21000 members and you can become a lifetime member for only ten dollars they're open daily 24 7 365 doors open at 10 a.m they don't close to the last person leaves uh go out there check them out west timer right here in houston prime social poker club and if you can't make it out there check out the live stream really awesome and i'll jump on there with reese from time to time as well that's prime social poker club all right, we get right back in the show. We got Aaron for a little bit longer uh, here. Before I let him go, I want him to look ahead to the next week, break down this Bears matchup uh, with the Houston Texans. They really need to win this game. AFC South currently, Jaguars 1-1, one one, Texans 0-1-1, one one, Colts 0-1-1, one one, and Titans 0-2. And, and why do I go into that? Yes, it's early in the season, but I go into that because I mentioned the Texans were 18.5-point underdogs the first two weeks. This week, they're, un- they're underdogs, again, mostly for being on the road, getting three and a half points at Chicago. Third straight week, I say take the points, but uh, we'll get in a little bit later on who Aaron thinks wins, who I think wins this game. But more importantly, the AFC South plays one of the toughest divisions of football, the AFC West. Jaguars, seven-point underdogs to the Charger out there in L.A. Uh, At home, the Titans are two-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Raiders, and the Colts are six-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Chiefs. The expectations for all four of these teams to lose, I think the Texans out of all of them have the best chance to win. Aaron, uh, is it too early in the season to say this is a game they really need to have, uh, especially with the way they've lost those first two games? 
you know, it's a matter of perspective. If they're going to, you know, be a team that anyone's going to take seriously this year and think of as a contender in this not great AFC South, then these are the games you absolutely have to have. If this is indeed a year where you're mostly playing for draft position and trying to find who are the keepers and, right. you know, if it basically it is a, whatever, a developmental year, which, you know, it hurts the pain of losing going through all of that, what it takes to get to, you know, let's say that they do become a team that wins less than four games. Well, what, what do you think? Do you think they're more like the fan base has been throwing us out there for a while. They're tanking, they're tanking. I don't think they're tanking. Oh No, I, I don't think they're tanking. You know, one of the reasons that they're so tight against the cap is because Nick Casero is trying to right. win. Thank because you. even his backups make two to three million. Some of those guys shouldn't, but that that's a different story. This is a team that he, wants to win. He's trying to win and he, yes. but you know, the cap issues are because he has too large of a middle class, yes. uh, but very few teams do that where they pay a lot of guys this much in essence too, though you're paying for free agents to join a team that's coming off a four and 13 season. So, you know, you're looking at guys that are willing to come here. This isn't like the number one destination, even though I think they've improved the culture, the facilities, the locker room, the vibe here. Uh, everything about the Texans is going in a good direction. It's just a matter of getting more talent onto the roster. I think they got the character and the work ethic yes, absolutely. right. And, and I don't – people will say, oh, no, you guys are being homeless. No, yeah, I'm just saying say this as someone that I'm around the guys. I'm, I sure. see them in the offseason. You know, I talk to a lot of people. I know that Cal McNair, Hannah McNair, Janice McNair, Nick Casario, all these people are really into it. And Greg Grissom, I mean, some of the business things, I would say like the product on the field, it's got to match what they're doing off the field. But off the field, like good things in the community, good works, the interaction with Uvalde, a lot of things I think are very heartfelt and also a little more fun experience, like the DJ at the games, things like that. Some of the things they've done with media, some of the things we've attended and, uh, you know, some fun stuff. And I actually say this is someone that I look forward to coming over there. Nice. I, absolutely. I just it's want to see them win more because you want to cover a relevant team, obviously. That's, I don't win my emotions don't change on winning or losing. You just have right. a job to do. But at the same time, you know, you want to not just be covering a team that loses every week and it's the same <laughs> type of losing. So you want the story to change as a journalist and winning a game would change the story right. and the narrative surrounding this team. But I don't think they're trying to low key tank or anything like that. I think what they're trying to do is they understand that within the constraints of their budget, the cap space that they have, the fact that they don't have a franchise quarterback, you know, and I say that meaning I don't know if Davis will become one, but sure. you know, he's certainly unproven. Yeah, it's a fair question. They just have to get more talent onto this roster. They look like they've had a good draft to me. They oh yeah, I, I think that's more than again. yeah, I think that's more than fair to say. But yes, I mean it's going to be about two to three years down the line. But if you're this year and, you know, I, you, you always get the, and you can't judge the fans by social media, but uh, you know, you always get the replies on social media, like, oh, they're tanking, you know, you know, they're not trying to win these games. And I, I think you bring up a great point. They just uh, restructured Brandon cooks. I think you report if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. Yes. They restructured him to create a little bit of breathing room, 544,000. Yes. They need that. And they'll keep doing ones like that. Uh, as they need more money. Yeah, operating they, budget through the year. I they're mean, just, to to they're the just below $2 million available right now. 
And if anyone goes to injury reserve, they still have to pay him and then you have to up someone. So every time that happens, you have to get more money to create enough to pay the players. And that's an issue. It's not cash. It's about cap. And great. Well said there. I'm going to get you a T-shirt made. You're going to I have to trademark it like Geno Smith. You saw Geno trademark his, right? That's just, yeah, a smart really, that's just a smart business decision. I and thought what, it was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to have to get you. It's, it's about cash, not cap. Right, Aaron? Is that the Absolutely. Aaronism? There we yeah. go. Uh, I'm going to get that printed up for you. You wear it out there at NRG for me, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, before I let Aaron get out of here, let me set this up for you, Aaron, um, and for the listeners as well, just to peel the curtain back. Uh, Bears, Texans, scoring defenses are both the six lowest in the uh, – I mean, excuse me, scoring offenses are the six lowest in the NFL, six worst, meaning that uh, they're both 14 and a half. They're both averaging 14 and a half points per game. So this shouldn't be a high scoring game. Defenses are actually doing really well. That's what's keeping them in games. Texans are tied for 19th best scoring defense of 18 points a game. Right behind them tied 11th are the Chicago Bears at 18 and a half points per game. Uh, Texans defense ranks well in the red zone, goal to go, third down percent, and points per game. As we just mentioned, top 10 in all those categories. Texans, uh, Bears defense, excuse me, ranked seventh in sacks per pass attempts. So it kind of gives you a little bit. I know you probably need a little pen and paper to go back through the pot pot and jot it down. If you don't have it all there, most of that is on my timeline at Jason Braddock. And a lot of the breaking news Aaron's is putting out is on his timeline there at Aaron Wilson underscore NFL as well. But I lay the background a little bit here. And before I get your predictions, we talked earlier about they can't stop opposing ones. Pittman Jr., nine catches, 121 yards and a touchdown. Sutton, almost similar, uh, almost parallel numbers. Seven catches, 122 yards. Bears don't have a number one. Their top guys, Equinemius St. Brown, three catches on seven targets, less than 50% completion rate there. 57 yards, one touchdowns this year. Talked about plugging the middle, but not giving up the, uh, not being able to stop the contain on the edge and feels mobility. I laid it all all out there. Texans need to have this win after the loss. Lovey turning, returning back to Chicago. Thoughts on everything I said there. I know a lot to really process on the fly, but I know you know it anyway. Um, on that, how do you see this game going? And end it with the Aaron Wilson prediction before we let you out of here. All right, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Texans win a football game, and they improve to 1-1-1. One, one and one, Nice. Chicago with a victory. And it Are they going to be in first my, place at that? <laughs> it could be. I, I don't I got I to look at everybody else's matchups. But in my opinion, they win this football game. They take care of business. I don't know about blowout or whatever. You know, to me, just get a win. And I think they're capable of doing it. And if they can't beat the Bears, it's going to be a long, long mm. year. Well said. Well said. We're going to end on that note because I think that's perfectly said there. Aaron, thank you for your time, brother. We're going to let you go ahead. I'll see you out there tomorrow morning, and uh, we'll catch you later. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. Take care. That's Aaron Wilson. Pro Football Network's NFL insider here locally in Houston, Texans insider for KPRC2 and Sports Talk 790. Uh, before you get up and finish the rest of the show, a couple segments less, left, Excuse me. let's take a quick break with our sponsors. 
Crom Social Poker Club opens daily at 10 a.m. and doesn't close until the last person leaves. Now, that's 24-7, 365 days a year, so you can always get your poker game on at Prime. Also, daily, free play starting at 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. with happy hour from 4 to 9 p.m. They have daily and nightly tournaments with buy-in starting as low as $60 and going as high as $5,000. Now, check this out. Guaranteed prize money as large as $2 million. What are you waiting for? Get in the game. Prime Social Poker Club here locally in Houston, 7801 Westheimer. We've told you about the endless insights at Inside Edge, but let us tell you about the real gold mine. They're five-star picks, and in the 2021 NFL season, Inside Edge went 34-14 and 14 against the spread for a success rate of 70.8, and now you have access to these five-star picks for only $20 per pick or get the deal of the lifetime. Every five-star pick for the entire year for only $149. Even better, our listeners get a discount of 10% on that access by using code Houston. That's code Houston. I back in a couple more segments to go this evening. Uh, Aaron Wilson, we want to thank him for all he contributes to the show every week here on the Houston Football Show. Don't forget to come back every week, 8 p.m. Central Time. Check us out. Um, and don't forget to tell your mama and them as well. All right, well, let's get into it. We're going to, you know, we're talking about that Bears game, how it breaks down with Aaron. And one thing I wanted to ask him, uh, kind of ran out of time there with is, you know, can they have a clean game? And before we break down, you know, the running back situation and how they can really attack this game on defense, the, the true question is, can they have a clean game? This game they're coming off against Denver. They were two for 13 on third down. Atrocious. I'll never even say atrocious. Don't even know how to spell it, but that's how bad it was. Two for 13 on third downs at Denver. Then they had eight penalties for 94 yards. And when I look at penalty yards that high, you know, I usually – do a comparison to the rushing game and see how much it takes away from the rushing game. It it canceled out your entire rushing game on just eight penalties for 94 yards. You're going negative when you factor in your rushing attack minus the penalties. You it, It's all math. You know, I don't want to dork up the thing for you. I'm a numbers nerd as it is. And going back to numbers, 50% completion rate for Davis Mills. That's insane. That can't happen. Stop it. Brandon Cooks, Aaron talked about that throw earlier, and yes, it should have been a higher throw, just like the Conley throw uh, week one should have been a higher throw. These guys make millions of dollars, and in Brandon Cooks, he probably makes about a million dollars a game. Catch the damn ball. It's clear as that. We're moving on. I don't even need to talk about Davis Mills. Can they clean up the game? So everything else we talk about doesn't even matter if they can't play a clean game. It's week three. The preseason is over. And what I mean by that is teams don't typically take a lot of reps in the preseason anymore. It's been shrunk down from four weeks to three weeks. And these guys at most, some not even taking any reps together, live reps in the preseason. So it's ugly football. 
and that carries over into the regular season. I don't even think there's a point of a preseason. Do some joint practices a couple times and then go and build up your chemistry the first couple weeks like we're seeing anyway. At max, these teams, new coaching staffs, new quarterbacks, all of it, uh, at max they're playing 20 to 50 reps together. Max, as a unit, 20 to 50. Yeah, you're getting a little bit of live bullets, but they're so scared of a meaningless injury in preseason that they're not building chemistry. So when do you build chemistry? Week one, week two, typically around week three, week four of the regular season, you start seeing what a team really is. I'm willing to give the Texans a pass. I know the fans, you know, can, especially fanatics, they can be a little harsh uh, and slow to move on, but I'm willing to give them a pass. A lot of that has to do with what the expectations were. Now, you can't just, you know, forget what we knew beforehand. A lot of the same Texans fans that are extremely upset they didn't pull out these two wins gave the Texans zero shot nationally. They gave the Texans zero shot in these first two games. And the Texans are half a game out of first place behind the Jags. That's the Jacksonville Jaguars. For those that may have forgot about them, they they do still play in the NFL, and they're in first place in the AFC South. It's up for grabs. The Jags, I would be shocked if they beat the Chargers this week. The Titans, I would be shocked if they beat the Raiders this week. The Colts, I you can't convince me they beat the Chiefs this week. And I know the NFL, and we've seen some surprises here and there, and it's been insane, but a lot of that has to do with the preseason football, type football we watched the first two weeks of the season. This is week three. Things are starting around in the shape. And these vet teams like the Chiefs and Chargers, uh, the AFC Wild, uh, West, and I know uh, – Derek Carr, you know, Devontae Adams new to the team, but they got chemistry going back all the way down to Fresno State. Josh McDaniels, new head coach, man, they were clicking in the preseason. It hasn't carried over to the regular season as much, obviously, but the talent's there, and I would be surprised if the Titans, Colts, and Jags didn't all lose this week. I would be surprised. The Texans game is the one game, you look at the AFC South, that that team really, really should uh, win. And don't get caught up in the three and a half unless you're gambling on it and take that three and a half with a smile like you did the first two weeks on the uh, eight and a half and the 10 points you were given uh, with the Texans. They're getting three and a half because they're on the road. These are two bad teams. I just told you about the rankings. They rank almost identical in most areas, except the Texans defense, fourth in red zone, six in gold to go situation, eight on third down percent, ninth in points per game. So, I mean, this team is a little bit underrated because of what's happened in the fourth quarter, and we haven't really looked at their positives. Can they play a clean game? That's what they have to do. And they have to start stop the number one wide receiver. They get a ble- uh, blessing this week. We're not having to do that. You just don't give up the big plays. And I think you can do that because the, the Texans have talent that's secondary. They're not going against Michael Pittman Jr. and Cortland Sutton this week. And Justin Fields, like Aaron said, he's completed seven pass one week, eight pass the next week. Of those passing yards, the week his top passing game is 120 passing yards, and 51 of that came on one play. Last week, he had 70 passing yards, and 30 of it came on one play. You take away those two plays, he's got almost only 100 passing yards on the whole season just from two big plays. Texans eliminate the big play in the passing game. Force fields, play close to the line, Jeff, eight in the box, nine. Uh, Screw it. Put 12 people in the box as long as the refs don't call it because Justin Fields not going to consistently beat you moving a chain. Just don't give up the big strike like you did coming out to start the fourth quarter last week. 
Now, the biggest thing is I want to look at this running back situation. Damian Pierce, Rex Burkhead. We talked about it before the preseason. We talked about it in the preseason. We're going into week three, and we're still talking about this. The Texans, yes, they got Damian Pierce more involved. But why did Rex Burkhead outsnap Pierce week one, 50 to 20? Why is Rex Burkhead the seventh most targeted? No, excuse me. Excuse me. It went up. Third most targeted running back. No, let, let that marinate for a second. I'm going to repeat it, but I want you to just let that marinate. Rex Burkhead. There's not a new rookie or somebody who came in with a similar name. It's the Rex Burkhead you know well. He's the third most targeted running back in the passing game. That is insane, especially when you combine it with the fact that Rex Burkhead's 3.8 yards per touch this year is the fifth lowest in the NFL. So not only is he not getting you on the ground, he's not getting it to you in the air, but you refuse to throw to Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce has one target in each game, and he caught each pass. And I put the uh, video up of the last one when I was questioning, why is he only getting one target when Rex Burke is the third most targeted running back in the NFL? This ain't Christian McCaffrey. This is Rex Burkhead. Why is he the third most targeted? I need somebody to answer this. Like, it, there's no sense to this. Why does Burkhead outsnap Pierce by 30 snaps week one? Why? And if you're throwing the ball to your back when, you're, when your quarterback's only completing 50% of his passes, why aren't you throwing it? To the top back on your team, two catches on two targets in two games with Rex Burkhead, the third most targeted running back. Go to the timeline at Jason Braddock. Look at the effort. He comes out on the flat, catches it, turns, plays with strength and power in his legs and fights for eight yards on that catch. And you don't throw him another ball. Check this out. You need more numbers to, I mean, you've already seen it. You know, you're questioning it. If you're watching Texans game, why is Rex Burkett out there? But let's marry the stats with what your eyes are seeing again. On rushes that went for first downs when they started seven to 10 yards to go. I worded this horrifically. <laughs> Let me try this again. Seven to 10 yards to go, rush plays that go for first down. Burkhead is tied for last with zero. Zero first down rushes when it was seven to 10 yards to go. And you're like, well, that's probably pretty hard to get a first down on. You're, you're right. It's percentage based. And seeing that Rex, Rex Burkhead doesn't have one to his name, he's 0% and tied for worse in the NFL. Damian Pierce, though, there's this other fourth round rookie they drafted. Where do you think he ranks in this? You know, seeing how we talk about all the 10 plus yard rushes he had at Florida, what he did in the preseason, seeing how he won the starting job over vets as a fourth round pick uh, as a rookie. What did he do? Seventh. Seventh in the NFL on rushes that uh, of seven to 10 yards ago. And he still gets a first down on that rush. He's seventh. Burkhead's last. And remind you, the NFL evaluator and coaches, whoever's making the decision, because I'm not sure on that. I don't know if it's coming from the front office, the head coach or the OC, but it's definitely not alignment on that because I can't see this entire organization saying, you know what, week one, what we need to do, we need to give that uh, Rex Burkhead cat about 50 snaps. 
And in week two, we need to throw him about three more passes so we can keep him up there around the third most targeted running back because nothing says elite receiver like Rex Burkhead. Also, seeing how Rex Burkhead didn't get any rushes in week two, this is going to be mostly a Damian Pierce stat. Let's let this res resonate. And a lot of these stats you hear us use here on the Houston Football Show come from one of our title sponsors, Inside Edge. You can check out uh, their free stats they've now made readily available uh, at myinsideedge.com. Well, they tweeted this one out, and you can check out their timeline at IE underscore NFL. On rush attempts, on successful rush attempts in week two, the Texans had 58.8%, 58.8% against the Broncos successful rush attempts. That was the third highest rank for a team in the NFL, third highest. I think you're on something with Damian Pierce. So then let me ask you this. You've got Damian Pierce. He didn't have a lot of workload for his talent in college, right? So he comes into the preseason, third day pick. Picked in the fourth round on the third day of the draft, not heralded. He impresses so much in the preseason and limited action. And what are we talking about? 10, 15 touches in the preseason? They shut him down because he showed you so much talent. But a guy that had limited work in college, limited work in your offense in the preseason, he's going to make mistakes, especially a fourth round rookie, right? We, we, Make excuses for, uh, you know, Stingley's excuses and Petrie's missed tackles. And I say excuses, that's harsh. Um, we give them the grace of developing. Rookies are going to make mistakes. Same with Kenyon Green. We feel a little bit more grace. With Damian Pierce, where's the damn grace? Where's the urgency to force Rex? I mean, why is there an urgency to force Rex Burkhead back into the game? I don't understand it. And here's a point that is just going to... You're going to find insane. If you haven't read this on my social media yet, you're going to find this insane. So Damian Pierce, we just read Texans were the third best on successful rushes, 58.8%. So that's Damian Pierce. You only have to say Texans. But third best, Damian Pierce this week in his first, you know, I mean, was second NFL start, but first, quote, on air quotes here, uh, when they actually gave him the ball. Well, in the third game, he makes a rookie mistake. Titus Howard turns around uh, about three minutes ago in the third quarter. You can go watch it on NFL Plus. Titus turns around. He's pointing to Pierce to get him lined up wrong. Great awareness for your right tackle, by the way. Points it out, gets him to line up on. Davis Mills points him out. The play's busted. Davis Mills takes it and just runs, dives ahead. Texans, oh, we got to rub his nose in it. Rookie made a mistake. He screwed up the whole play. Rex Burkhead comes in. Okay, I get it. Even though that's a third and six and you have a miscommunication with Nikos, that should have been a third down on the next play. We'll get in that a little bit a uh, little bit later uh, in the last segment of the evening. But you rub Damien Pierce nose and, oh, you screwed up. You messed up the play. You lined up in the wrong spot. Come up to the bench. Rex Burkhead, get in there. That was with three minutes to go in the third quarter. This is a one-possession game. At the time, the Texans are winning that one-possession game. 18 minutes of game time left. The running back that was the third best in the NFL with 58.8% successful rush attempts. How many touches do you think he got the rest of the game? Those 18 minutes. If you guess one, you were correct. 18 minutes left in the game. After he messed up the alignment, they gave him the ball one time 
and the Texans were up with three minutes to go in the third quarter. You have the entire fourth quarter, and at no point was it farther than a one-score game. Why did they go away from the running game that was one of the most top three successful when you base on success rate last week? You you go away from it to go to the quarterback who was completing 50% of his passes, and he's only completed 31% of his passes now through the first two weeks in the fourth quarter. These losses, you can blame Davis Mills, and he's got to shoulder part of it as the starting quarterback. You can blame O-line penalties, drop touchdowns, drops from the vet receivers, anything you want. But you, I think the front office, you know, may have to take some blame on the Rex Burkhead stuff. I'm not sure. Uh, if I'm a betting man, I'm going to say the front office is going to take shoulder some responsibility for Rex Burkhead. Then that means they take responsibility for being 0-1 and one instead of two and 0. Because they could be, and in a division that's up for grabs, you could be one of four AFC teams that are left undefeated. They should be, if actually. Let me change the verbiage. They should be. The front office takes responsibility for Burkett. That's on you. You've had all offseason to, to upgrade that number two running back position. And if Rex Burkett's the answer, if Damian Pierce screws up late in the third, third quarter by lining up wrong, it's on you, the front office, that there's not somebody that can step up there in that role whose name is not Rex Burkett. So it's insane to me. The front office takes blame in not being 2-0. The head coach takes blame in not being 2-0 because Lovey's a defensive-minded guy. It's like watching high school football, the containment that's being given up against Jonathan Taylor, Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon. Go back and watch the tape. Almost all of it. It's bounced to the outside week two in the Broncos. They had five D tackles rotating in, stuff in the middle, and all Javante Williams and Melvin Gorder did was get outside the tackle. The edge was never set. And like Aaron said, it's not always on setting the edge. Sometimes you've got those guys diving in and linebackers are coming behind to feel. Where were the damn linebackers? They're not there. And then when there is somebody there, if it gets down to the safety, Petrie's missing tackles. So the running back, Rex Burkhead, front office takes shoulder some of the blame for not having a true number two running back on this roster going into the season. Now, if you get hit by injuries, I get it. Going into the season, you do, everybody knew, fans, media, everyone, probably the head coach and the OC knew. If That's just a hunch. I'm not reporting anything. I'm not, I'm not an insider like Aaron. When you look at, head coach Lovey and allowing his defense for two straight weeks not to be able to really do simple things like a high school coach would get fired for not being able to contain on the edges. And Ogbo did better week two containing. You saw him come out right at the beginning of the game, fight in to uh, set the edge. Much better. Still has to improve, but much better. And wasn't getting so wide out of his lanes and gaps as well. There's still got to be a lot of improvement. And the whole team uh, is setting the edge has to improve. This is basic. This is stuff that that even with you being early in the year, you shouldn't be seeing. It has to be rectified this week or Texas lose this game. So, OC, the play calling, what he's shown, what he's done, knowing that Davis Mills is throwing, completing 31% of passes, 
late in the game, or excuse me, in the uh, in the fourth quarter, and you go away from the running back, Damian Pierce, he got to carry a three-minute mark. Then they, he lines up wrong. They bring in Burkhead. Pierce runs off. He gets another carry at 11 minutes and 22 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. And that's his last touch the rest of the game. One possession game. 18 minutes of game time. One touch. It's silly. But Davis Mills out here chunking up passes where he's taking five sacks in the fourth quarter in overtime as opposed to only three through the first through third quarters the first two weeks. The guy's holding the ball. He, he's got the yips on sideline passes. About two or three passes, he left his feet and jumped up like he's Tim Tebow. Um, it's mental. It's not, it's not that Davis Mills can't do it. We talked about the ex- expected completion percent and how he was positive Z point, 0.5 as a rookie. Now he's minus 10 in his second year. He has regressed, but not physically. It's all mental. And that's not on the coach. That's not on the OC. But it is on the OC when you've got a running back that's running successful rushes 58.8% of the time, third best in the league in that game, and you got a quarterback completing 31% of the pass, and you say, we're going to give this running back one, one carry the next 18 minutes of game time, one carry in a one-possession game. That's inexcusable. All right, we'll come up, run through a couple quick evaluation and thoughts on the uh, Texans players from week one, week two to end the show. Uh, but before we end in the final, se- final segment, you've heard us talk about stats all evening long. Those come from our partners at Inside Edge. Inside Edge, if you've ever seen the movie Moneyball, that's who Inside Edge is. They were at the forefront of the analytics revolution in sports 27 years ago when they started partnering partnering with Major League Baseball professional clubs. Now they partner with professional leagues all over the world. They uh, partner with PR departments, your favorite websites, these stats like, man, how do they research this? Uh, Derek Stingley Jr., has been targeted six times in the fourth quarter, more than any other uh, DB in the fourth quarter. I'm not out here counting every DB stats. That's from Inside Edge, and you can get that information as well. Whether you work in the media like me, whether you work, uh, you know, fantasy, whether you play fantasy, you do play-by-play, broadcasting, uh, if you're a gambler. All the information's there. They've now this information they give to the top sites. They sell to professional sports teams and PR departments. Now at your fingers for free at myinsideedge.com. That's myinsideedge.com. All right, last segment of the night. We've gone a little bit over, so I'm going to run through these. Uh, run through these quickly. First, we got to get to Kenyon Green. Kenyon got his first start. I think he played well. He made mistakes. The biggest areas we saw, mostly in the run game, he played. He played really well. And you got to remember, this is his first start. Young kid, conditioning issues, reportedly had a concussion as well. Working back, uh, playing against top-end NFL talent. So I thought he really played when you take everything into context. But as far as... uh, you have some of the areas on one play in the running game, first and goal. Damian Pierce gets blown up, stuffed in the backfield by two yards, but it's not on Pierce. Both guards, Kenyon Green and AJ Can, whiff on the run game there, get Damian blown up. But outside of that, there might have been another play or so that could have been better for Kenyon. I can't recall right off in the run game, but it's mostly in pass pro. And in pass pro, you know, that's where we've seen we've, he's needed to develop. So this isn't shocking stuff. But uh, what kind of really stood out to me 
was the spin move against pass pro. He really struggled to stay in front of that spin move uh, and also the stun as well. Sometimes he's late responding to that. A lot of that's going to have to do with chemistry with that offensive line continuously changing over week after week. It's hard to build that chemistry. Then his first start, pro talent, everything else. No, no signs of concern there. Like what you see from him, even the areas he struggled in is where you expect him to struggle and you're seeing him growing and develop. I think it was AJ Can I read uh, from his press today where he said he's learning uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I believe he said he's learning where to put his hands better and he's got the power and the pop. So it's going to be a technique thing. And I think it's really going to click. That kid should be uh, playing at a high level in the league for a long time. Nico Collins. This is one. I wasn't big on Nico when he came out the draft, had a fifth round grade on him. Texans took him in the third. And then I was a convert. I'll be honest with you, preseason, and I'm rarely ever converted in the preseason, but watching him every day, his craft, his work, how he's framing the ball on the sideline, uh, working after practice, everything. I'm like, you know what, Jason? Maybe it's fool's gold, but I'm going to say, let's watch out for this Nico Collins kid. He's really starting to step it up. There was too many things on film where there's miscommunications with him and Davis Mills. And without me being in the huddle, you're right. I don't know if it's completely on Nico, if it's completely on Davis. I can tell you what Nico's routes look like through the game when he ran similar routes. I can tell you where Mills places the ball in camp typically when they run these routes and when they play off of each other. And I'll just tell you this, without putting blame on Davis or Nico, Nico's routes in that game weren't consistently the same. His effort wasn't consistently the same. And I'll leave it at that because this is a guy in the second year early on that we knew was raw. When you got 6'4", 220 with that type of wingspan and movement skills, there's a reason he's available in the third. I was disappointed from what I saw from Nico in the preseason to what I saw from Nico in this Broncos game. And that's a guy that needs needs to really step it up. They've given him the keys to that number two wide receiver position, and and I don't know if he's earned it to this point because what, what he showed in that game was not a number two wide receiver in the NFL. Speaking of wide receivers, the vets as a whole – aren't helping Davis Mills. Yeah, Davis Mills, 31%. That can't be helped by all these drops. But when your quarterback's struggling, your vet wide receivers need to pick them up. Brandon Cooks, third down week one, three and out because the ball goes right through his hands. Week two, touchdown that could possibly help put the game away. You're playing from ahead. You go, you get down there. Uh, now the Broncos are pushing back. You've got a touchdown there that could really help you put this game away uh, instead of settling for another field goal. And he drops it. Now you could talk about, well, it was, it was, you know, it was at his knees. Go back and watch the end zone angle where it goes through both of his arms and hits his stomach. <laughs> I mean, Brandy, I Brandon Cooks would tell you he should catch that 100 times out of 100. The dude's contract, I'm pretty sure he makes $20 million a year around there. Not sure right off the top, but I feel pretty confident uh, he makes around there. There's 17 games in a season, so you're basically making about a million dollars a game. No ball should touch the ground, especially when you have three to four yards of space in, and all you got to do is go down and catch it between your arms and in your chest. Crucial misses there. Chris Conley, we talked all offseason how he caught 21 of 22 passes since coming with the Texans. 
had a catch week one. Then he goes up and live. I didn't criticize him. I was like, maybe Kareem. I think it was Kareem in coverage there. Kareem Jackson. Maybe he got his hand on that tip and alter it. You go back and you watch it, and clearly it's just a drop. He frames his hands poorly, misses for a struggling quarterback, vet receiver that's your number three guy to drop that big of a play, another third, I believe that was third down. I might not, don't quote me on that. I might be mistaken on it being third down, but it's definitely another first down conversion regardless and another drop. And then the Conley drop, you know, well, it was at his knees. Professional wide receiver. Your job is to catch a football. It is the prime. If you put a resume as an NFL wide receiver, the number one bullet point is catch a football. If it is at your knees and you are in the NFL, you pluck it and keep going. You don't even have to go to the ground. That is on Chris Conley. Should Davis Mills throw a better pass? Yes, that is on Chris Conley. You have to make that catch. That is your job. Jalen Petrie, this kid has all the talent in the world. Electric upside. The kid's going to be special. He wants contact. He wants action. But he has to He has to get the technique the technical aspect of tackling and he's he'll do it sometimes he'll run up perfect form tackle wrap up the guy bring him down fill the hole and there's going to be a little bit of him i mean still another young kid just like uh kenyon green just like damian pierce Derek stingley jr these are young guys i get that that's not lost on me so you know i'll give them give them some grace that they're going to evaluate and he's such an elite talent for such a young kid in the league but it's just frustrating to watch and you are costing your team's games at this point uh it's just too many missed tackles from week one uh more missed tackles week two and the troubling part of the week two missed tackles is how they come late and not only the missed tackles but They've beat into the head to where to kind of do the peanut punch, try to get strips when you can. But knowing loving how he teaches it, you're supposed to wrap up or a teammate's supposed to have that guy, that ball carrier wrapped up so you can go for the punch, so you can go for the strip. Jalen Petrie, Steven Nelson, Nelson, multiple guys late in the fourth quarter are just carelessly one-handed ripping at the ball, flying and ripping like a peewee game, giving up three, five more yards after every point of contact and it is it was that with the containment the missed uh sideline passes ritualistically from davis mills at this point was just insane to watch but uh in and on a couple other things o-line chemistry and i want to end on a positive thing too uh next but o-line chemistry we talk about Davis Mills, the wide receiver drops, the struggles of the offense, everything like that. And we talk about the penalties, different things with the offensive line. I think all of that's fair. But I think we also got to talk about the lack of chemistry on the offensive line. And it's not their, it's not their fault. I mean, you've got the injuries. You've got, uh, you know, whatever happened with Justin Britt. Um You've got the the talent fall off, guys one year from the next. Anyway, if we go back over the last 17 games, if Laramie Tunsil comes out against the Bears at left tackle, Kenya Green left guard, at center, Scott Quesenberry with A.J. Cam right guard and Titus Howard right tackle, that would be the same starting offensive line uh, for the second straight week for the first time. Two weeks in a row with the same starting line for the Texans, first time in 10 games and the third time in 17 games that's a 17 games in the season so 
In the last 17 games, this will be only the third time that the Texans have had the same offensive line from one week to the next. Knock on wood that everybody's healthy in that same unit trots out there. Uh, For Damian Pierce to be as effective as he was with this unit, its first week together, lack of chemistry and how much Davis Mills was struggling is just insane. And the team just needs to finally do right by Davis Mills. I mean, excuse me, Damian Pierce. Yes, you did great week two running the ball. You still, some reason, not throwing the ball, throwing the ball, get on the ball, feed on the ball, keep it on the run game until Davis Mills can consistently hit the throws in the fourth quarter that he has in the past. Let him get it fixed out mentally because right now he has the yips on those sideline passes. Lastly, you say we'll end on a positive note. This guy was probably called, used to be called when he was with the Texans uh, early on in his career. Uh, Probably called Mr. Simone Biles. I'm sure he's probably got that a time or two. I think that's fair. At this point, he's the leading tackle in the NFL. And, oh, my God, Rockets fans, I love you. Please quit coming on my timeline with the reply every week when I tell you about the safety tackles of Jonathan Owens and he's leading the NFL with basic information like, well, if the safety's making the tackle, then that means your front seven. So the guy leads the NFL in tackles. This isn't a number one pick. This isn't a, a, a first day pick. This isn't a draft. You know what I mean? Jonathan Owens leads the NFL in tackles. And yes, I've watched football long enough to understand that most of the time the safety's making a tackle means he's in the third level of the defense. I I, I think I've picked that up from. So I appreciate you, Rockets fans, for that uh, that nugget there. Uh, obviously, tongue in cheek, guys. Um, But with Jonathan Owens, though, it's not just the point I I put that out there is that it's crazy. You got a Texans playing. Yes, they played like 160 freaking plays the first two weeks. That plays a part in it. And yes, it plays a part that the front seven is letting guys, especially in the running game, get to that uh, to that third level. But Jonathan Owens is also coming up and he's feeling he's feeling on that second level. And sometimes he's coming up on that first level and plugging in, making stops. But what he's always doing He's always coming up, wrapping text, wrapping up textbook form tackle. Jonathan Owens is a player, and he's a fine for this Texans roster. That's a steal there. So that's going to do it for another week. I will leave with a prediction here. First week, I went out on the limb. I picked the Texans to win. I was feeling good at NRG watching that game up twenty to three. Uh, but they came out with the tie, so it didn't make me look completely foolish for going out with the Texans there. But I told you you didn't have to ride with me that week. Told you to go ahead and take those points, eight and a half. Last week, Texans getting 10. Felt like it was a touchdown game. Had the Texans losing 26-20. You obviously know how the game uh, turned out. They lose by a touchdown there, 16-9 at Denver. This week, Texans on the road. These games, game, uh, This game statistically matches up identically uh, with the offensive and defensive rating, except when you start talking about uh, down there situations that matter. Third down, goal to go, red zone, points, Texans top 10 in all of those categories, all four of those categories. That Texans defense still being slept on a little bit here. Bears don't have a passing game. Not only, again, I'll tell you like I did the first week, if you're not there with me, you don't feel comfortable with what you've seen the first two weeks, I get it. Third straight week, take the three and a half points. If you're feeling cocky, you're feeling confident, go ahead and take them Texans on the money line. I've got them winning this week, and I've got the Texans winning by six points. I haven't figured out the final score, though, but the lack of the passing game and the Texans not having to defend a true number one like a Pittman or Sutton and just really focus after two weeks on containing the edge and stuffing the uh, stuff in the box, this is a game 
the Texans should win. We know they have a small margin of error. They have to win the turnover margin, and they've been doing that. The one positive for Davis Mills, outside of fumbling the ball every time he gets hit, uh, he doesn't turn over the ball on interceptions. A lot of those fumbles have been uh, fortunately recovered for the Texans. But that's going to be it. I got Texans winning by six this week. They will be 1-1-1 one, one, and, one, uh, and in first place of the AFC South because I've got not only do I've got the Texans winning by six over the Bears this week, I've also got the Jags, Titans, and Colts losing against the AFC West. It's going to do it for another week. For Jonathan Danger Cole, Mark Larson from iLogic Media, and for my co-host Aaron Wilson, Pro Football Network's NFL Insider, and uh, Sports Talk 790 KPRCT, KPRC2's Texas Insider. Excuse me, guys. And myself, Jason Brady. That's going to do it for another episode. Season 1, Episode 9. Come back next week and every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Time. That's the Houston Football Show from Prime Social Poker Club and Inside Edge. This has been the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Prime Social Poker Club and Inside Edge.